Please join me for a word of prayer as we remain standing. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and speak through them. Take our will. Set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King on this summer morning. Hope your summer's off to a great start. Uh, I don't recall uh, foisting a story about our youngest daughter Susie on you in a while, so... A little story of Susie. Susie is our three-and-a-half-year-old, rapidly pushing four come July. Last week, so two of my children share, everyone shares a room, and uh, Susie shares a room with Sarah. Sarah is our nine-year-old. Susie, again, about three-and-a-half. And uh, Jennifer, my wife, was putting Susie to bed, and putting both of them to bed, and I'd assumed that little Susie was asleep, and so she was praying for Sarah and reassuring Sarah of God's love for her. I think she said something, and Jesus loves you very much, Sarah. And from the bottom bunk, there in bunks, Sarah on the top, Susie on the bottom. From the bottom bunk, we heard this word of protestation, no, <laughs> no, Jesus does not love Sarah, Jesus loves me. Susie believes that she is the center of the world. And I don't think in our parenting we've done such a great job of dissuading her uh, high view of herself. And I know there's probably parenting books and articles that would suggest that we're ruining this child and that she's going to you know, have all sorts of unhealthy uh, self-assessment as, a, as an adult. I, I just disagree. I tend to think that Kids are not spoiled because they, for a brief moment in time, believe that they are the center of the world. I think kids are spoiled because of a lack of discipline, and not, not so much for thinking, I'm the center of the world. It seems to me that that's a healthy part of growing up. I remember some distant recollections back there around seven, eight, where I had the same sort of thought. I thought, gosh, I'm, I'm, I am the center. I am the center of my parents' attention. I'm their favorite. I had three siblings. Uh, uh, I'm the center of my grand. I'm their favorite of my grandparents. I'm this out of all the teachers, all the students in the teachers' class. I'm their favorite. I'm the center. Now, I just think it's a helpful and healthy thing to have a sense of worth and dignity for a young person. My hope is, my theory is, we'll see how it plays out, is that a sense of I'm the center of my parents' attention or the center of the world for a young person will grow into a more chastened, uh, just a sense that they matter, a sense of their own significance. And as a young person grows into a young adult, a sense that they matter, that they are significant, will again change into a healthy sense of self-respect and assurance and I hope that this healthy sense of self-respect and assurance in a young adult will again grow into a, a confident adult, a confident adult who knows who they are, who knows who they're created to be, who believes that they have something to offer the world. So I'm just not that concerned for a three-year-old who thinks that they are the center of the world and they are, in fact, God's favorite. I think, God willing, there will be enough life for Susie that will soon, enough life experience that will... Uh, chasing that uh, high assessment. But for right now, I'm perfectly fine with it.
We'll see how my parenting theory plays out in the long run. You can witness it. We are in a series uh, today. We begin a series on Genesis, and specifically the opening chapters of Genesis. And they're such beautiful chapters. They're poetic chapters. They're beautifully written chapters. They're, they're so foundational. John Stott, one of my favorite authors, has this observation that as we read Genesis, we can envision a builder laying great stones of a foundation upon which the biblical structure of the Christian faith will be built. And so we have massive foundational stones which are present in the first pages of Genesis. We have the foundational stone that God is active and in His creation is intentional. God spoke and creation came into being. Creation is not an accident. You and I are not an accident. God is intentional in His creation. That is one massive foundation stone of the Christian faith. We encounter another in this text that not only is God active, but He is also involved. Did you hear that touching uh, or uh, that striking image of God hovering, the Spirit of God hovering over the deep? That passage is found, that sentiment is found elsewhere in the Bible as if, uh, and it describes a mother bird hovering over the young encouraging their young to fly. A very intimate and even a tender scene. Not only is God active, but He's also intimately aware and intimately involved with His creation. That is another massive foundation of the biblical story. We learn that God is evaluative. There are some things He likes, and He calls these things that He likes good. By implications, there are some things that He doesn't like, and we can only imagine He calls those bad. But it's, a, again, very foundational. Our God has assessments. He has evaluations, good and bad. The massive stone, the massive foundational stone of the Christian faith that I want to unpack for us this morning is something that, we, uh, that I implied from that opening anecdote about Susie. And that is the foundational stone of the value and the dignity of the human person. Now that may seem like an odd subject, especially because in this story of creation, we actually didn't get to the creation of human beings. That actually occurs at the end of day six, and we'll read that next Sunday. But it's the value and the significance of the person. I want you to turn to the Genesis, the account of creation. And I want to assert that both the brevity of the creation account as well as the, the account's focus, specific and minute focus on the earth, affirms the dignity and the value of the human person. I'll take a while to unpack, so bear with me. First, let's consider the brevity of the creation story. Six quick days. Day one, light, darkness. Our reader read just portions of it. Day two, the sky is separated from the sea. Sea separated from the land. Day three, 
All the green things that grow. Day four. Lights in the heavens. The sun to govern the night sky. The sun to govern the day sky. The moon to govern the night sky. Day five, the birds of the air and all the fish of the seas. Day six, animals for the land. And if we were to continue to read, day six also includes the creation of man and woman. Six brief 24-hour days. You know how fast a week goes by? Quicker and quicker, doesn't it? Just like that. Could it possibly be that we are to view the entirety of creation as compressed into a mere six days? I think the answer is yes. Yes, that's exactly what the Bible intends to communicate. That the creation of all things prior to the entrance of the human person occurs in just a brief week. Now let's pause there. I think any consideration of Genesis will have to address the question uh, posed by natural science. Not posed as if these two are in conflict. We'll certainly have to address the natural sciences. And the natural sciences assert with a good amount of certainty that creation took a long, long time. And our earth has been around for a long, long time. And that as fond as we are of the earth, and I like the earth, it is not the center. There's a lot of other stuff out there as well. And so we have to think, does the Bible at odds with science? Do we need to pick one or the other? Do we need to pick cosmology and astrology on one hand and turn our back on the Bible or do we need to do the other and turn to the Bible and turn our back on the other? And I think simply no. I don't think that's the case at all. I think each has its value. I believe each has specific questions that it addresses. The natural sciences address questions like how and when and by which process. And I personally, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by the findings of these far-reaching telescopes that reach back thousands and millions of light years and speculate as to how and when the universe began. I just think it's really, really interesting. I'm Intrigued by archaeological discoveries which paint a picture of the lengthy development of life on our good earth. However, natural science is good and it has its place, but it has a limited place. And it's the questions like, say, metaphysical questions, questions of not so much questions of how and by what process, but instead it's the questions of why and for what purpose and of what value these are the questions that the bible addresses and if we were to rely solely on a purely naturalistic and scientific measurement of our significance i think the answer would be incredibly discouraging just consider our good earth, which we are so fond of, 
it's really pretty insignificant. We're one planet in, are we eight planets in our solar system or nine? It seems like Pluto is always getting the bump. Eight or nine, right? And our sun is only one sun of a billion suns, give or take, a billion stars in the galaxy. And our galaxy is about one of 100 billion galaxies in the universe. Now, I don't know what portion of mass that we have just limited ourselves to, but that makes us about a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of all the stuff in the universe right here. By any objective measurement of mass, we are simply insignificant as much as we do like our good earth. Further, by any objective measurement of time, our brief human lives not to mention the entirety of human history is just an insignificant blip. I don't know how much uh, credit you give to some of these analogies, but I stumbled upon this one in Bill Bryson's A Short History of Everything. He speculates that if you were to compress the entirety of Earth's history into a 124-hour day, you would be left with the following timeline. Again, one 24-hour day. Around 4 a.m., first life would appear. And it's not till about, oh, 8 o'clock that plants begin to appear. Mammals, not till about 30 minutes till 12 o'clock. The day almost completely gone. And it's not until one minute and 17 seconds before the stroke of midnight that human beings emerge on this stage in all of human history, not to mention the brief 80, 90 years that you and I have, is not even a measurable length of time. By any objective scientific measurement of time, you and I are just a meaningless blip. Author and commentator Derek Kidner asserts that the scientific account of the universe, realistic and indispensable as it is, overwhelms us with statistics that reduce our apparent significance to the vanishing point. And if we are left only with natural sciences to answer the question of why am I here, what am I here for, of what value am I, the answer is very sobering. Man is alone, woman is alone and insignificant and unfeeling in the immensity of the universe, out of which he emerged only by chance. Just a brief and minuscule blip. That's it. That's all. That's why the biblical answer, the biblical story of creation, is so helpful for us. Because it sets things in their proper perspective. And it sets things in their proper proportion. Recall that story, uh, the analogy of a time, uh, the, the history of the earth compressed into a 24-hour day, and where do we fit in? Oh, we're at the very, very, very end, the last sentence of the last page. That's it. No, says the Bible. All the tremendous acts of creation, all the incalculably long years, are a mere curtain raiser. There are just a brief prologue, a seven-day week gone like that, which sets the stage for the unfolding of the human drama. 
And it's this earth-centered or geocentric view which places our good earth in the center of God's creative purposes. As if the author of Genesis were telling us, stand here, stand here on this good earth. And in this present moment, see the present age as the time to which my creative work was moving and all the unconscious years before as but a few brief days. Little Susie, our three-year-old, she believes that she is significant. She believes that she is the center of the world. And with some caveats, I believe that Genesis chapter 1 affirms little Susie's assessment. Out of the vast expanse of God's creation, out of the billions of galaxies, and the billions and billions of stars and planets in those galaxies. God has a favorite. He has one little planet. That's our planet. And out of the billions and billions of years, there is a time to which his creative work is aimed, and that is our brief little time. Genesis chapter 1 affirms the value and the dignity of the human person. We are the main event. We're not a brief add-on. We're not a minuscule amount of weight. We are the main purpose of God's creative work. And all the stars and the galaxies are just background. And all the time that has come before is just a prologue. We are his favorites. And that is a foundation stone upon which the rest of the Bible is built. That human beings are God's favorites. That human beings are significant. That we matter. And because human beings matter, God will speak to, reveal himself, and guide human beings through his revealed word. And because human beings matter, God will send his son to die on a cross to redeem human beings. And because human beings matter, Jesus will one day return and all who trust in him will rise to life and life eternal. Why? Because human beings matter. Science has its place and it has a good place. And you and I should never be afraid of scientific discovery as if some new thing is going to erode or eviscerate our Christian faith. No, not at all. But it is only a place. And I cannot answer questions as to why you are here and what you are here for. And more importantly for this morning, do you? why do you matter? It is only the Bible which provides such resoundingly satisfactory answers to those questions. Yes, Susie, you are God's favorite. Or, more nuanced, yes, each one of you, you are significant. It seems to me that every day we have the possibility of affirming one of two stories. Either the story that you and I are a meaningless blip, alone and insignificant in the unfeeling immensity of the universe, out of which we emerged only by chance, that is one story we can affirm. Or the other story, that human beings matter, that the rest of the universe is background and all the ages before are just prologue. 
we can affirm one of those two for ourselves. First, yourselves. God created you. You are not an accident. And God created you specifically, uniquely. God created you to be you, not you to be me or me to be you. And as you have been created, you have something to offer, something unique. Yes, we're all flawed. We all have significant flaws. The story of creation will address that as well. Nonetheless, we must all find a peaceful self-acceptance of who we are and who God has created us to be and what we have to offer the world. Second, it seems that we have the opportunity to affirm one story of the other or the other through countless small interactions with other human beings. Other human beings who ask for our attention, either at the home, can you take out the trash? At work, what do you think? We have the opportunity through thousands of small interactions to affirm that other human beings matter. Either by a a kind look, a gentle touch, by simply being attentive and present, we communicate, I am interested in you, and you matter. Or by turning away or distractedness, we communicate the opposite. Nothing more than a blip. So let's be those people who affirm the biblical story of creation. That all the stars and all the galaxies are just distant background. The stage upon which God's favorites act. You and me. And all the countless ages are just a brief prologue prior to the entrance of God's special, unique, and loved creation. We are human persons endowed with an unshakable dignity and value which is rooted in God as our creator. In other words, we are his favorites. Please rise.